When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I'm glad you joined us today. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Seeing a barren one who did not bear, burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the sight of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess the nations and will settle the desolate towns. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged, for you will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, just as I swore that the waters of Noah would never again go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, I am about to set your stones in entry and weigh your foundations with sapphire. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of jewels, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the prosperity of your children. In righteousness you shall be established you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because, because of you. See, it is I who have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon fit for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper, and you shall confute, confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you so much for reading, Paula. The theme of Israel as the wife of, of the God of Israel is one that's played out all through Isaiah, this marriage metaphor for that relationship of great joy and great sorrow that um, is often sung about, especially towards the, the end of Isaiah as we come to it. Um, we don't talk about um, fertility or pregnancy this way anymore. We would never refer to someone who uh, wasn't able to or didn't have children as barren. I, I find that um, we probably need to, to work on our translating um, in these texts a little bit. The fact that so glibly the translators could translate it that way, although I think everybody knows what that means when we talk about the barren one who did not bear. The tragedy of not having children for some is real. For others, um, it is not a tragedy. We, um, I think there's greater awareness today, at least for me, on how to... Um, how to pastorally and, and carefully listen to people when they talk about their own journey with fertility or having children or not having children. Certainly, um, there's more than just one path for everyone's life. And I think a lot of us um, of previous generations that um, grew up a long time ago versus people that are in their 20s today have different perspectives on these issues of should I have kids? Should I not have kids? When should I have kids? And uh, I think, you know, sharing some of our experiences with with our children and, uh, and those other people that are interested in hearing or maybe not including our children sometimes about our own ex- uh, experiences with um, timing of children or when to have children is always good to share those things because uh, Isaiah is tapping into a deep fear for any uh, culture or group that pops itself up that no one else will have babies. There's horror movies made about this. Children of Men is probably the one that comes to mind, first of all, um, where the whole world stops having babies. And there's like one guy who's the youngest person on earth, and then he gets into his 20s and 30s and um, it's a it's a horror movie because all of society breaks down, um, and yet um, we live in a world that is often talked about as being overpopulated, and so um, all these factors play into our modern understanding of what it what it is to either have children or not have children. But for most of human history, having a lot of children um, was a good thing in for many communities because it meant that you were simply able to break even on the population scale every year um, with all the other untreatable diseases and other factors that went into people's death in those days. Um, certainly larger families in agrarian or farming societies was the norm. Uh, also for the labor aspects, you know, free labor in some ways for farms and communities um, was also a factor. So uh, for someone to not have a child, especially a woman, to not have a child um, was considered both shameful, like maybe they had done something wrong or 
it was God's punishment for not being able to conceive, as we see in the story of Hannah, who prays and prays and prays for a child, um, or um, or for some other factor. This is all tied up in this covenant. The covenant that God made with Abraham was for his descendants. And the irony of that is that they didn't have any at the time. Um, that was the the ridiculousness of God's covenant with Abraham coming to someone who both he and his wife were well past childbearing years that we normally think of. And um, that was the joke that Sarah laughs at when the angel tells her that she's going to have a baby. And yet that is how it all happened to a couple that were the least likely to have a baby. The, the, um, I think as today as Americans, we need to listen to people's uh, stories of fertility and infertility as they share them with us um, with, with a listening ear, not presupp- presupposing what people will feel or how they experience those things. But here, this childlessness is, is a mark of shame on the community that they are feeling. And yet, it is that very shameful state that... Isaiah and God says, is the greatest blessing. Again, we can see this theme of of the worst thing that can possibly happen to us um, is somehow transformed by God into something that's worth singing about. Uh, That is the theme throughout Isaiah. It doesn't happen right away. It's a long, difficult process. Um, But it gets very real. This, This passage of Isaiah about um, children and marriage and other things, says that um, the barren, the woman that doesn't have any children, who feels the shame of that in a society that mainly valued women for their ability to reproduce, uh, that is is uh, certainly not ended in in our world. But is um, we might imagine the shame to be even greater in those days. This woman is supposed to make a bigger tent. She's supposed to knock out some walls of her house to make a, a kid's room and then another kid's room and another kid's room and another kid's room. That's what Isaiah is saying, that um, the, the tent you have is not going to be big enough for all the children you're going to have. Um, don't be, do not fear and don't be ashamed. Don't be discouraged. You will not suffer disgrace. This combination of fear Shame and discouragement um, is a really potent one, and it, affor- it informs most of our decisions in life. I wish that were not so. Maybe I'm just talking about myself here, but the fear of being ashamed, of bringing dishonor on oneself in some way by the community, whether it's family of origin or present community or workplace or whatever it is, um, the fear of that leads to discouragement. And then there's an immobility in that. There's a paralyzing effect of feeling like you don't have a lot of options. Discouragement, disgrace. Um, For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Now, this is not a general statement about widowhood or anything like that. This is about Israel. And um, to put that um, in here um, is really not about the widow, but about the widower or about the, 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 the former husband who happens to be God. 
God is the one that caused the shame of this widow, Israel. Um, Again, we can see a very intimate portrayal of God here that we don't always see in a lot of other places in the Bible. Um, we, We see it if we look, because God is a person in the Bible, even though God is not a person in the way we think of a persona, a face in that way. But God definitely has feelings about all this. Um, as they are expressed here. Um, this, this theme of marriage continues, of, um, of staying together, of being restored. And then it goes um, into the, the final kind of worst thing that ever happened to humanity, Noah's flood. This is like the days of Noah. Just as I swore the waters of Noah would never again go over the earth, I have sworn I won't be angry with you. Um, For the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but the steadfast love of God shall not depart from you. No matter what happens, even if the whole place floods, which is a kind of a very real risk for many of us today, um, God will not abandon us. God will be with us. This word, uh, hesed, is often highlighted as a, a special kind of covenant love, steadfast love, loyal love, loving kindness, um, This is the covenant love that says, even though the covenant has become difficult to keep, we will keep it. And this is then, then the the song goes into this beautiful portrayal of jewelry, of gemstones um, that arise out of this uh, destruction, that these beautiful stones come out of the destruction of the community in the Babylonian captivity and in all the other ways that we stumble and fall. But these gemstones are there. I don't even know what half of these mean, but antinomy, I guess, is a kind of gemstone. And uh, rubies, sapphires on the gates of the city are jewels and precious stones. Um, This beautiful vision of what paradise looks like, a city with a lot of jewels on it that sparkles in the sunlight, uh, and a, a a freedom from oppression. These are the hallmarks of a good, of a good life, um, especially for people who feel this dislocation. And this final line, I'm glad uh, we read it, Paula read it all the way to the end there, that um, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Uh, this is often claimed as a promise of God. My grandmother was a great uh, claimer of the promises of God that are listed in scripture. they um, for many years, they used to publish books with all the promises of God listed. And here's one of them. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper. Um, you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Similar to the psalmist, whose biggest concern is what people say about him, is this um, the weapon that are being formed against you will not work. Um, and those are probably literal weapons in the sense of the Babylonian threat but also uh, the weapons of our words from the sword of our tongues that attack and destroy. Um, That ultimately God will protect you. Um, This is a a big order in this world to have this kind of protection. But it is for the people with the least power that God promises this. This whole chapter is about a a woman who is experiencing the shame of not having children in a society that, that mainly values her for that. And ultimately, 
Um, it is that person, that person who is a visible symbol of disgrace, as it says here, becomes a visible symbol of God's blessing, a visible symbol of the kind of protection that God gives for those who, who are in the covenant that God has established. So you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid. You will not be ashamed or discouraged. Um, the the thing that, that you think is the thing that everybody knows about you or thinks about you um, is not the thing that God thinks about you. I've shared this many times, having gone to my doctor and having and, and it said an apology. Hey, I'm sorry you have to do this, I said. Um, and, and they said to me, you know, this is the, the least interesting thing about you. That's what she said to me. This is the least interesting thing about you, um, this problem that we're dealing with today. Um, and I think we often think of ourselves as the most interesting thing about us as the really big problems in our life. But that's not true. Um, ultimately, God knows that stuff and sees it, of course, but that is not what, why God and we are in a covenant at all. That has nothing to do with it. Um, those things are drifting away as God is forging in us these beautiful gems, these wonderful communities, um, that the weapons that are formed against us will not prosper. Amen. Glorify the Lord, all you works of the Lord. Praise him and highly exalt him forever. In the firmament of his power, glorify the Lord. Praise him and highly exalt him forever. Glorify the Lord, you angels and all powers of the Lord. O heavens and all waters above the heavens, sun and moon and stars of the sky, glorify the Lord. Praise him and highly exalt him forever. Glorify the Lord, every shower of rain and fall of dew, all winds and fire and heat, winter and summer, glorify the Lord. Praise him and highly exalt him forever. Glorify the Lord, O chill and cold, drops of dew and flakes of snow, frost and cold, ice and sleet, glorify the Lord. Praise him and highly exalt him forever. Glorify the Lord, O nights and days, O shining light and unfolding dark, storm clouds and thunderbolts, glorify the Lord. Praise him and highly exalt him forever. The feast day of St. Bridget of Kildare. Someone wants to say that in an Irish accent. I'm, I'm not feeling up to it today. Uh, to do, do the, my fake Irish accent, which is the same as my, my English accent and probably my Southern accent. But she was born at Fahart in the middle of the 5th century. So this is the time where uh, Roman Britain uh, is sort of ending administratively, but a lot of the Roman culture is still uh, there in the British Isles and Ireland at the time. Uh, she may have met St. Patrick as a young girl. Bridget and Patrick um, do overlap a little bit historically. And their, um, their, na their nativity is of a great importance. St. Patrick, who is the patron saint of Ireland and really symbolizes so much of what we think about 
Irish religious culture here in this country, uh, having um, grown up in Limerick, Pennsylvania with the green fire trucks because of Limerick, Ireland, uh, the, the, the hold uh, of this tiny place on America is, is really big. And there's lots of uh, wonderful reasons for that and historically, but um, Patrick was not born in Ireland. He went there as an enslaved person and then as a missionary to evangelize Ireland uh, whereas Bridget was born there, and often that distinction is made when talking about um, Irish saints. Um, not that it really matters much. Um, we all are born lots of places and end up where we are and identify with that place that we are now in. I like to think of myself as a Texan, um, even though I was not born within the state uh, boundaries of the state of Texas. Bridget may have met Patrick when she was a young girl. She said she was said to be the daughter of Duplat, a poet laureate of King Loghair, and was reared in the Druid household. So lots of stories surrounding her origin. This is a time where um, history is really um, yet to be written. She decided early in life to dedicate her life to God alone as a Christian. She received a nun's veil from Bishop Mikhail of Westmeath. Gathering around her was a group of women, um, and Bridget in 470 founded a nunnery at Kildare, a place whose name meant Church of the Oak. Uh, here had flourished the cult of a pagan goddess honored with sacred fire, which she and her successors maintained. To secure the sacraments, Bridget persuaded the anchorite Conled to remove Episcopal ordination, to receive Episcopal ordination, and to bring his community of monks to Kildare, thus establishing the only known Irish double monastery of men and women. Bridget actively participated in policy-making decisions and church conventions. One story has it that she received Episcopal orders, that she was made a bishop, which may reflect only the fact that she exercised the jurisdictional authority that was customarily wielded by medieval abbesses, which was a lot because they owned a lot of land and farmland and things like that. Um, this part of church history is one where Ireland kind of retreats into a little more isolation from that Roman connection, but it doesn't mean people weren't, um, people weren't doing Christian stuff and in somewhat some dialogue with the larger world, especially when it came to ordaining bishops. But this idea that um, she is also a pagan goddess is um, wrapped into the story of Bridget, maybe because of the shrine that she takes over. Again, the strategy of missionary expansion at this time period, uh, from the letters of Gregory to uh, Augustine of Canterbury, you can see these letters, read them today in the Venerable Bede, where he talks about the kind of concerns that these missionaries needed to pay attention to. And when it gets to things like pagan shrines, um, there certainly was cultural destruction and and uh, things that happened uh, for sure, as 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 in all cultural shifts in human history. But we can see here in her story the the need to maintain the shrine of this um, sacred fire um, that was there in Kildare. Um, that there are holy sites in the world um, here in our area. It's often associated with springs. You can imagine how holy um, those clear springs of water would be to native peoples that were here long before 
the original Texans or Spanish got here. And so, um, and or large trees, Treaty Oak is one sacred spot in the city of Austin, as well as Barton Springs and others, other springs uh, that would have been places of meeting and places of exchange and, and holy places that way. And we can see that here in Ireland as well. And Christianity was not meant to do away with these sacred places, but to tell the real story of what happened there, which was that um, this pagan shrine, which even calling it pagan is a, a Christian construct, uh, this shrine to this earth religion is the truth in that it witnesses and points to Jesus Christ. And they, they had a, a really profound way of doing this, to, almost like um, the early apostles did with the Old Testament. They would sit with someone who had grown up in Judaism and say, look here all through the Old Testament are witnesses to this coming Messiah. He looks like this. He talks like this. He's going to do these kinds of things. You can see it right here on the page. And people would say, oh, that convinces me. The Ethiopian eunuch, who is Jewish, um, is, is one of the greatest examples of this. He sees, reads the Isaiah scroll with Philip in his chariot, and instantly he realizes it's true. He, Jesus is the Messiah uh, for me, and he goes and says, I want to be baptized right away. And a similar thing happened in Northern Europe and elsewhere. The missionaries would come with no weapons or anything, um, just them, and sometimes they'd get killed or executed or run out of town. Sometimes they'd be allowed to stay, and they would show that um, either the evil power of the God that inhabited that land and had power over people was powerless. There would be a sacred oak or something that they would cut down to show that. But um, we see in the story of Bridget that um, that's not happening, that she is pointing to this shrine and saying, this is the truth, and we're going to keep the sacred fire going, but it's going to be a flame that burns for Christ, um, because that was what this place was always pointing to all along the way. Um, someone who loves us, who comes from above to give his life for us, to become one of us. So this, um, you know, that's an overly simplistic explanation, I think. I'm not trying to say that's the only story that's happening here in Bridget's life, but you can see that. And I think we live in a time where we are in an age where this is true as well for most people in our in our communities and culture, that people are very aware that um, that Christianity is not the only religion in the world. People have access to religious resources in a, at a, in a, on a scale that um, ne no, never has anyone had in human history. So we can know a lot more about what's out there. And so for Christians today, I think part of our job is to witness to the truth that is in other religions, the truth that is in other uh, pre-Christian traditions that existed in Europe and in America and Africa and other places, but to also show how in some elements of those things point to Jesus. Um, that movement of, for Christians is something we have had to do back in Bridget's day and uh, something we should always be doing is to try to listen to what people are saying and feeling and thinking and trying to see how that fits into the story of Jesus. It's something Francis did in his life very well, and something we are called to do as well. Next to Patrick, Bridget is one of the most beloved of Irish saints. Many stories are told of her great concern for the poor and needy. When a leper, leprous woman asked for milk, she was healed also of her infirmity. 
Two blind men were given their sight, best known as the tale of Bridges' Taming of a Wolf at the request of a local chieftain. Her feast day itself, February 1st, was long held sacred as Imbolg, the Celtic festival of spring, because it's getting lighter now. She died around 523 in Kildare, outside whose small cathedral, the foundations of her original nunnery, are there with its fire shrine. They're still shown to tourists. Her remains are said to have been reinterred at the time of the Danish invasions of the ninth century with those of Patrick at Downpatrick. Downpatrick. Bridget, also known as Bride, was well was also very popular in England, Scotland, and Wales under her Gaelic name Farade, Farade, where many churches have been dedicated to her. The best known of them is that which was designed by Sir Christopher Wren on Fleet Street in London. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I want to read from you a poem that she wrote. One, one reason this poem is posted on the walls of many breweries, as she is a saint, patron saint of brewing beer, mainly for this poem. I wish I had a great lake of beer for the King of Kings. I would wish the family of heaven to be drinking it throughout life and time. I would wish the men of heaven in my own house. I would wish vessels of peace to be given to them. I would wish joy to be in their drinking. I would wish Jesus to be here among them. I would wish the three Marys of great name. I would wish the people of heaven from every side. I would wish to be a rent payer to the prince. The way, the way if I was in trouble, he would give me a good blessing. I would like the angels of heaven to be among us. I would like an abundance of peace. I would like full vessels of charity. I would like rich treasures of mercy. I would like cheerfulness to preside over all. I would like Jesus to be present. I would like the three Marys of illustrious renown to be with us. I would like the friends of heaven to be gathered around us from all parts. I would like myself to be a rent payer to the Lord, that should I suffer distress, that he would bestow a good blessing upon me. I would like a great lake of beer for the King of Kings. I would like to be watching heaven's family drinking it through all eternity. So there's, it's a little longer than that, but um, you get the idea of this very embodied uh, spirituality of, of St. Bridget um, to have a, a big party with God and the saints and Jesus is ultimately what um, we're supposed to be doing in church to some degree, um, is to have a great party with God because God has dwelt among us. And Bridget knew that, even though she lived a very austere life um, and uh, of great uh, care and discipline, um, she knew how to party because that's that's the best way to party is when you've when you've uh, when you've prayed a lot. I think that that relationship is um, one that's often missed that we don't articulate carefully. That we say there's either a life of partying and excess and waste. And that's not good for anybody. Um, but there also is a, a, a way of fasting and feasting that we see in the Christian calendar and we can see in the life of St. Bridget of Kildare. So I will get the prayer back. Here it is. O God, by whose grace your servant Bridget, kindled with the flame of your love, became a burning and shining light in your church, 
Grant that we also may be aflame with the spirit of love and discipline and walk before you as children of light through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all who you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen.